Hey there, and welcome to the weekly conversation known as Just Two Dads. Uh, hopefully, you guys can hear me okay and everything's uh, all good and well. Um, I want to thank you, everybody, for um, tuning in this week. Um, it is literally just one dad, just myself. Um, Brian Altunian is uh, traveling, actually, uh, back to the East Coast for his uh, daughter's uh, graduation um, from college. And uh, I want to make sure that, that we congratulate uh, Gabby on her graduation and congratulate Brian. I think that um, uh, it's just a really fantastic thing to be able to uh, see your child set some accomplishments and goals and uh, pursue them uh, after years of hard work. And for the stuff that he shared with me over the years, the work that she's put in and everything, I'm certain that it's very, very gratifying. Um, but uh, with that said, wanted to kind of um, reach out and thank everyone that tunes in and joins us on Facebook Live, as well as uh, wherever podcasts can be found. As you know, we're uh, we're on live on our Facebook page, Just Two Dads, and then you can find us wherever you find your podcasts on uh, Apple, uh, Spotify. Um, Stitcher, Amazon, uh, gosh, Pandora, you name it, wherever podcasts can be found. And then, of course, we have our listening audience that uh, joins us on uh, WSDX uh, AM in the U.S. Virgin Islands uh, on St. Croix and, and throughout the Caribbean. Um, being uh, from the Virgin Islands, that means so much to me. And uh, again, Brian and I always try to do what we can to make sure that we're adding value. And for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, what we do is we discuss various issues and um, topics as it relates to raising uh, a child with special needs from a dad's perspective, uh, just because that's one that is not usually heard. But the truth of the matter is it uh, covers all ground. And we like to say that there is no such thing as special needs. Everyone has the same need, uh, the need to be heard, the need to be understood, the need to know that they matter. And um, if you have a disability, of some kind, whether it's uh, an intellectual one, one that you may have been born with, or one that has come about as a result of a catastrophic injury, um, you have the same needs as anyone else. You simply may have more of those needs. That's the only thing that's any different. Well, um, our, our topic today, um, well, let me back up one more time. I, I also want to give thanks uh, to Brian. He's uh, with us here in Thought and Spirit, and uh, I, I appreciate, I so appreciate the opportunity to do what we do. Um, in this venture here together. So the topic today is one that I think is um, possibly, you know, a little difficult to talk about, at, at least uh, for me. You know, anything that is, um, is what it is based on uh, perspective. So if something is painful, it's, you know, relative to what? Something that's difficult, difficult relative to what? Something that's easy relative to what? You know, co compared to what? For most people, uh, I would think that today's topic is something that is difficult to discuss. And <clears throat> that is, when is it appropriate to find um, alternative housing for your child or loved one with uh, special needs or disability? Um, and there's a lot of layers to that. I'll share with you a little bit of a story that... Uh, my wife and I experienced uh, this past week that led to us um, uh, 
choosing today's topic because I, you know, I, I figured that it's something that a lot of people can relate to. I know it's a difficult thing to talk about also. Um, and so, but if you think about just the idea before I get into the story that, you know, got us there, as Brian and I were talking about what the topic was even going to be for the day, you know, um, the, just the idea, the wording of that alone is something that is somewhat unique. At one point in time, it was very common to refer to um, finding any kind of alternative housing. Well, let's just back up. What you really would do is at one point in time, you would refer to it as um, being institutionalized. And that has since attained you know, a negative connotation and deservedly so. Because once upon a time, once someone did, when someone had a disability, if they couldn't handle, you know, raising them is they, they would simply, you know, find a, um, a hospital or facility or institution of some kind for that person to live. And what it did more than anything else was just take the burden off of the person that who was actually raising that loved one. Um, and, you know, probably didn't do much to ease any guilt. It did more for that person than it did um, for, more for the caregiver than it did for the individual. The things have developed over time. And I belong to a handful of um, um, groups on social media, particularly on Facebook, that are, you know, support groups and things of that sort. And in many of the groups, the uh, experiences that people talk about are things that, to be honest, I can't relate to. Um, although I try. I think most people that know me know that I try to be empathetic. I think that there's that the world would be a much better place if we could step into each other's shoes for just a minute. I think that the lack of that is where the isms come from, racism, sexism, you know, all those things. Um, our ability to forget that we have more in common than we do otherwise. But as present as I am in doing that, I realize that a lot of those things I look at, I just don't, you know, I don't necessarily relate to, or my ability to relate to it is limited because it is not my experience. And I see here in the chat that uh, Joe Kenyonis has joined us. Thank you. Uh, hello, Joe. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I was aware of that. But what I really found that out was this past week. So I'll talk a little bit about what our experience has been like. And so what, what I'm referring to is I see things on some of these groups where parents will have a picture of um, a household item like a television or a window or something that is destroyed and they will say something like you know this is the fifth tv this year you know this sucks whatever the case might be and to be honest i've had situations where i feel like gosh that's just such a negative response but if you stop and think about that how many times they've gone through that because there's aggression or something like that that the child or loved one may be be dealing with as a result of their disability for instance some of that comes with autism along with self-harm and, um, you know, this is just not something I've ever been able to relate to. And the most extreme situations are ones that I still cannot relate to. But here's what I can relate to that has um, caused this to be the topic here today anyway. So uh, our son Elijah is 15, turned 15 about uh, two weeks ago. And throughout his life, he's had instances where... Um, when a meltdown occurs, especially if he's not able to really uh, express himself, because although he's verbal, there's certain 
words that he may not be able to put together, especially if he's exceptionally upset. And when that happens, the meltdown may ensue. That's happened in public. That's happened at home. And it's never consisted of any true self-harming. Um, you know, there are kids that pull hair out, um, hit their head against the wall, punch themselves, different things. He hasn't done any of those things. But what comes with, with autism, for him in particular, is that he will need, uh, if he has anxiety, he'll need squeezes. Those out there who have children on the autism autism spectrum will be familiar with that. That's why you have things like weighted blankets and um, heavy items that allow the person to sort of, I, I don't, I can't even explain how it works, but there's, there's, there's tension that's relieved by squeezing some, you know, some are known to self squeeze. So he's had those instances. Um, and it may involve, you know, a lot of crying as he got older, maybe some screaming. And then it evolved to him being able to say, I need a, I, I, I need a squeeze, please squeeze, squeeze your shoulder, squeeze your shoulder. And, you know, that's where he'll let you know what he needs without necessarily a full sentence. Well, as he's gotten older, we've had a couple instances where those things get, you know, maybe a little more dramatic, a little um, uh, louder in terms of a scream and that kind of thing. It, and there have been times where he may just um, go out the front door and run a couple yards or something like that. Very far and few. Um, and I will say that we've been blessed also. Um because you could all easily have a situation where he could be really harmed. Um, but, you know, lately he has been asking on his own, okay, to get the COVID vaccine, all right? Now, this is not about the vaccine. This is about what it represents to him and his ability to verbalize it. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are that are watching that probably have very strong opinions. Not probably do have strong opinions. Um, and the other thing is, as, as caregivers to those with special needs, people aren't looking to be judged. So for damn sure, especially in our own show, are not looking to have anybody judge me and about whether or not we should have gotten in the vaccine or how you know how you feel about that. How you feel about the vaccine is you know your own um, business. How I feel about it is mine. Everybody's got their choices to make, and you know we need to make sure that we share. But he, he asked for it. And um, and I think, you know, the reason why he, he asked for it is because he associates it with getting back to some sense of normalcy. So it's interesting. There are those out there who feel like, you know, um, things being normal should mean that, you know, the mask should just come off and there shouldn't be any vaccine. Our immune systems will work, that kind of thing. So it's interesting because you can see both perspectives there. But he kept asking, and he's very, very insistent about it. And, um, you know, your your choices with regard to what is best for your child is always juxtaposed against what is easiest for you. The best thing is to always do, you know, what is best for your child, and you sacrifice yourself when you make those choices, you know. Um, however being human beings, there are very often times when um, the choice is made that is easiest for you. And it may not always be what is best for your child. Um, and so there's certain 
skills or tasks that the child may miss out on, um, you know, depending on the situation. And in our case, one of the things that Elijah missed out on is that since he was, um, uh, with the exception of when he was a baby, he had not had um, blood drawn. Okay. He's got limited um, things that he'll eat whenever he goes to the dentist. He has had um, great checkups. He's got a great dentist and he's had um, primarily good physical results as well. And, you know, but as he gets older, you know, nutrition is in, is in question. You want to just make sure that everything is on the up and up and you don't always necessarily know. So um, he went through a little bit of a, a weight loss over the last maybe year, year and a half. And we just wanted to make sure that things were okay because at the same time, he's really stretched out. So he's almost my height. I'm, depending on the day, somewhere between six feet and six one. Um, and he's almost as tall as me. So he has stretched out, but nonetheless, we wanted to make sure. So we made several attempts to, you know, have his blood drawn. And that was what the pediatrician suggested and everything. And between my wife and I, together and her on occasion with him took him to um children's hospital here in los angeles probably somewhere between lost count between five and ten times to do it and you could tell that he 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 wanted to um to get that done and when you get there you just couldn't really go through with it couldn't get it done so you know we try to work through that but as i mentioned he started asking for the vaccine itself and we realized the reason why he was asking for the vaccine is because he equates having it with not having to wear a mask. He equates having the vaccine with being able to return to school. Because then he started clarifying what he wanted. He says, you know, I want to get the COVID vaccine. I want to go back to school. And he would say, please, please. Like he's begging for it. And, you know, when your child asks for something and really, really wants it, especially in his case, you know, you have to listen. You have to listen and ask and wonder why and try and find out why, even if you're not going to just grant them what it is that they do want. But again, this is where it's a personal choice. After some thought and everything, we decided to go ahead and have him uh, get the vaccine. And we tried to explain to him what it would entail, hoping that he'd be able to go through it. And um, this is kind of where this impetus really comes from. So we made the arrangement and the arrangement we made is at a local college here in Los Angeles where you have a drive up procedure. Um, we chose to get the vaccine as a family, quite frankly, before that. Okay. So he was the only one that had not been vac uh, vaccinated. And so with the exception of myself, everyone else had gotten theirs through this drive up process. So we get there, there's a line and you drive up and the other thing is he's he's going through a phase now where he's focused on different things. As you know, that comes with um, the autism spectrum disorder, which is there's things that one will focus on. What he is focused on is the wearing of a suit, right? And some of you have seen my posts on social media when we take our walks and everything. He, he has a black suit that he wants, he that he wears. He, he Same thing. He had been asking for a suit for weeks, almost months. Um my wife picked one out online or helped him pick one out and he got it and he will not leave the house without it. So we try to explain to him that he, you know, you probably can't wear the suit to go get the vaccine just because it, it'll be easier. Didn't want to do it. 
He wouldn't want to do it without wearing the suit. And thought, okay. So we go, we get to the facility, we're in line, and he has the suit. He's willing to do what he needs to do. He takes it off, up, takes off the jacket, takes off the shirt, is down to just the t-shirt. And they have you fill out the card beforehand that says that you've received the vaccine. So we he's got everything off. He's just got the shirt and they're attempting to give him the vaccine. And he's going back and forth, having a battle within himself, going back and forth between, okay, go ahead and no, 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 because it looks like it's going to hurt. And he even told them that he wanted to give himself the vaccine to administer it. We let him know that he couldn't do that. And he had the biggest anxiety and panic attack. So he got out of the car and he's just going back and forth. And these people are trying to help. God bless their souls. But, you know, as they gather around the car and everything, he's, you know, he's scared, but he's still trying. Um, you know, and one of them came up to him while we were talking and I didn't realize that she had gotten the needle from someone else. And she attempted to quickly administer the vaccine. And the only reason we know is because he turned and he and he turned and yelled "ow" and moved his hand, and and I we, I thought, oh, okay, at least you know maybe this is done because we also figure if this is done, then he'll be more open to the blood draw. We can figure out what's going on with his nutrition and everything, just to make sure he's okay. Because with a limited diet for a long period of time, you can't take anything for granted. Well, they explained that when they looked at the serum, um, that most of it was still in the syringe. So he had not received it. And he uh, realized that they took the card. We didn't leave with the card. And he, at first he was saying, he kept responding saying, you know, I did it. I did it. I did it. And he kept looking for a high five and everything. And then they had to take the card because he didn't actually have the vaccine and he was devastated. He was just crushed. And, you know, some of you may get this, and for some of you, it might not seem like that big a deal. But it was so uh, so heartbreaking to see him just realize that, go from feeling like he accomplished something, looking for this validation and affirmation, I did it, I did it, give me a high five, fist bump, to realizing that, they, that he hadn't. And he's trying to figure out, why did they take my card? And he kept referring to it as a reward card. So that happened. We come home and he's upset. He gets, you know, calms down some. Finally goes to sleep and everything. And he wakes up at 4 a.m. Just upset. You know, asking to get the vaccine. Wanting to go at that point. And, and we haven't pushed it or anything. And his emotions got so severe that he got up and he started screaming and and you know it got physical in in the sense that he you know, grabbed me you know asking for the vaccine over and over again just and saying please almost like he was trying to get something out of himself and i was thinking this and my wife confirmed that afterwards we were just thinking like i was thinking what if we weren't around who else would be able to handle something like that? And he's not as small as he was when he was younger. And then, you know, she was wondering just like, what if I wasn't around? She said, what if you weren't around? I said, do you mean like out of the house, not at home? She goes, 
whatever deceased outrunning an errand you know you know and and again that's not our typical experience but it got me to thinking about people who have faced situations where there is damage to um property self-harm injury to caregivers as well and they have to make this heart-wrenching choice of finding a facility and how do they do that and so you know we've had some conversation uh, i've had some conversation with um um several people that i know that have gone through those situations and um you know they've explained to me that it's just a very very difficult thing for them to do and they didn't um one parent in particular she explained to me that you know it wasn't something that they saw coming at all and that things escalated you know very quickly so i'm curious as to you know um what experiences people have had how they arrive at that point and you know i don't know you know exactly how long we um we go today i i imagine we should be able to you know fill the hour but especially here by myself um you know, there's not an easy thing to talk about, but, you know, looking for feedback and input uh, to find out what people have experienced as well. And so when I look at, there's several things. So there's the choice itself, okay? And when I looked at some of the the social media groups that I belong to, and I see the experiences that people have, that's when I stop and think, okay, that you know, I, I don't know what that's like. And the first thing I try to think is like, how does one arrive at the decision that, you know, they possibly don't have a choice but to find a facility? Um, and I'm sure for each person it's very different. And I've seen responses that um, go from complete judgment to then supporting people as well. And people are in, are in you know, different situations too. You know, um, there are, um, there's one perspective that you have if you're dealing with something like this as a couple, which I'm blessed to be able to do with, uh, with my wife. I mean, we have each other's, each other's backs and there are areas where she is, um, stronger than me and vice versa. So we support each other that way. There's certain, um, subject matters and things of that nature where Elijah will respond to my energy or approach, you know, maybe more receptively than he will, will with hers. And then there's some for whom the complete opposite is the case as well. You know, so I don't know what it's like to be in a situation as a, um, as a single parent trying to make um, that choice. And I know that there is a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of uh, of guilt that has got to be felt uh with trying to make that choice as well and so one of the um you know conversations that that i had uh with a parent you know that i had mentioned you know is the difficulty in leading to making the the um the uh, the, the choice you know and she explained to me that she honestly didn't think they would ever have to put their son in a home. Um, and she thought at least not this soon, but what happened is she explained that he was very aggressive. Um, he had gotten very big. Um, so he's an adult at this point. And, you know, 
began hurting himself and actually doing self-harm. So intentionally harming oneself. Those are things that come along with it as well. Then he um, mentioned that, you know, he wouldn't sleep and things of that sort. And so, you know, there's, when that happens, you're left with almost no choice. But then by the same token, there's some people that I know in, in situations that, you know, they've decided that no matter what, they are not going to be putting their loved one in a home at all. Um, and again, that's, these are very personal choices. That is something that is not to be um, knocked or decided uh, or, um, or, or, or ridiculed um, by anyone, you know? And so the other thing is the choice changes or the situation will change over a period of time because you then have to ask yourself, okay, as you age, how does that um, work? How does that play out? Okay. And in, and in this particular family's situation, they have both, I think, um, their SSI and um, um, another resource, um, the local regional center, which is paying for the um, for uh, paying the, the, the fee for their loved one, their son to be in, uh, in at the home. But you don't know how long any of that takes place. And that's a whole nother conversation to have. But the other thing is um, the financial wherewithal too. So, and it's interesting because those of you that follow us know that Brian and I work in financial services. And we've, you know, the way that the industry works versus the way that we work um, is very different. And we've, you know, focused a portion of our business on making sure that we provide financial service education and opportunity to the special needs community. And as much as we talk about making sure that there's proper planning as it relates to uh, the right type and amount of life insurance and uh, debt elimination, retirement, things of that sort, having your money someplace where it can outgrow inflation, get a decent rate of return, minimize how much of that you pay on taxes, and then have an estate plan in place with the attorneys that we work with as well, you know, I can't say that I've, I can't say that I've completely blocked it out, but the level of attention to which I would give the notion of having funds put aside for the possibility of your child or loved one being in a home is then something that everybody has to think about and consider, um, you know, that's a part that doesn't necessarily get talked about. And again, you're just talking about making sure that as you factor things things in and you're putting money aside and it's growing, then you want to make sure that, okay, what does it cost to do something like that if that comes into play? Because it's one less thing to then think about when and if a situation like that comes about. And, um, you know, people, um, again, everybody's situation is a little different with regard to the choice that 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 they make uh with that and it's very very personal um you know again we can't judge anybody and so for for um for me personally uh for us you know i think we would take a situation like that one day at a time so what i can i'll try and get into now just based on some of the information that was shared with me in particular with a, you know, the parent that I spoke with and some of the uh, parameters that uh, my wife and I are looking at is that 
first and foremost, for us personally, um, making the choice to do something like that, to have Elijah in a home, would be beyond a last resort. You know, and, and to be honest, I don't think I'm being unrealistic or uh, or just hopeful when I say that um, I don't think that, you know, it would come to that. Things would have to um, disintegrate or go downhill considerably for us personally. But there are a couple things to look at. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll share what was at least shared uh, with me. Uh, in some of my conversation. And, you know, um, the parent that I spoke with uh, yesterday in particular is telling me that just as I, as I just mentioned, that it's something that people need to plan for. I mean, I would say this, I would continue to include it in our plans from a financial standpoint. Okay. Even though it's not uh, an, an, an intention, you don't want to necessarily be um, surprised. Okay. Um, and, you know, the choice comes in, which is, you know, is your child or loved one currently um, a danger to themselves? And then how often is that the case? And is that escalating? And that's something you want to pay attention to and take note of. Because when you're in a situation, you know, there's a, a, um, a saying that Albert Einstein is known to have, or at least it's accredited to to him, which is that a problem cannot be solved at the same level of consciousness at which it occurred, which means that when you're dealing with a problem, you're facing it head on. The problem is yours per se. Oftentimes to solve it, you have to step outside of it and take a look at it with a set of objective eyes. Um, that's easier to do if it's somebody else's problem. That may be easy to do if there's somebody that you can talk to or speak with about the problem of the matter. And so you need to be able to at least step back and take a look and try and figure out, okay, how bad is this getting? The other, the other way to probably do that is to, you know, make note of um, the uh, behavior and experiences and things that are taking place. Track it, if you will, so that if it progresses to the point where it gets any worse, um, you then know. Not only do you want to track the behavior of your loved one as they continue to grow and hopefully progress. But then you also want to track and write down and take note of your ability to withstand whatever it is that takes place and being able to withstand it. That comes on uh, in um, several forms. You're talking about being able to physically withstand it, which is the most obvious um, thing to see, but then emotionally and mentally, how are you able to withstand it? That is probably the most difficult thing to do. And so you want to make sure that you're tracking that, but you also probably want to make sure that you've got at least one or two people in your circle that you can speak with uh, about that. People that you you trust. You probably have a, you know, a, a short list, hopefully, of just someone that you can do that with so that there's an objective um, conversation about what's taking place in terms of the growth. And then the other thing is to try and figure out how is that affecting other people around you, or in other words, whoever else lives with you and um, and your child or loved one, because it's about how it affects the entire household and how that can be sustained over a period of time. I think in our case, um, you know, it, it's funny. I in the last twenty four to forty eight hours in particular, never thought of myself as a bad parent. 
uh, I think we're, I think we do a good job as parents and strive for great. I, th I think my wife does a great job. Um, but I feel like we have to um, become, I don't know if, it, if you'd say better parents or just simply a different type. It's like the game has changed. And we had a discussion about that. Um, you know, I think there's a long period of time where you get used to going through the motions and doing things um, uh, a certain way, uh, whether it's whatever you let your child do uh, in terms of behavior or routine or whatever. But those are things to, you know, pay attention to um, as well. The other thing for us is um, we had never at any point had Elijah medicated. And it wasn't so much that we were just dead set against it as it just never even seemed necessary uh, as opposed to us saying no is something we just for the most part didn't even really necessarily talk about and it's still not something that we're uh we have that we have a preference for but it's something that we have to maybe consider now that he's um that he's older and he's going through changes as well and so the other factor at least for us has been the effect on uh of the uh the pandemic again because as i mentioned he's asking to be vaccinated and then asking to be vaccinated and then go back to school so the other thing is for us personally as far as a victory goes um you know it, it takes a long time to for him to get ready to go out the door to prepare to go someplace we had an appointment uh yesterday at a local hospital uh to get the vaccine we got there late he doesn't have concept of time altogether or his concept of it um, relates to if I, if I say that we have to we have to be there at 10 30 as far as he's concerned it means that that's when we leave he's not thinking that way so we got there late and our thought was if we get there late you know they won't turn us away we were late for the first appointment too and when we got there at this particular facility what they did is they, they have vaccines that are um, allotted for the uh, accounted for the number of appointments you don't show up it's given to somebody else and that was exactly what happened and so um he got upset <laughs> again he got over it at the moment by the time we got home later on he, you know he was very upset but even in that situation we had some growth as well we were able to tell him look we'll make an appointment for the next day so bottom line is we went there today and we had the biggest breakthrough in that he didn't want me involved in helping him or anything like that. He wanted to sit there on his own and actually get the vaccine, which he did. But again, once it was done, he's like, okay, now we can go to school. And this is where the teaching, the teachable moment comes in. As we're leaving, you know, I took him to his favorite bakery to get him a treat. Um, but as we're coming home, he tells me to take him to school because he's like, okay, now I don't have to wear a mask and now I can go to school. So that's what everything has really been about. So I, I think that as we get to normalcy for us personally, you know, whatever normal is going to be, that that is not as much of a uh, of a worry for us. But it still has me think, based on our experiences past couple of days, what does the future hold? And um, you know, as it relates to ever having to make a choice like that again, I don't think that we would come to something like that. But it made me think differently and see the situation that other families are facing um it made me see that with a different set of eyes and um 
I just want to say that we want to be here for you. Those that are facing situations that are really extreme, where you're probably in a situation where maybe your child or loved one should be in a home, but you can't bring yourself to do that. So, you know, in the remainder of the time that we have here, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, we discussed, you know, how a home or facility is chosen. You know, um, that's something that we, you know, say for another time or actually have someone on here that uh, can join us that is um, well-versed in making those choices. Uh, But it can't be easy. And there's so much emotion involved in in something like that. So what did we cover so far? We talked about taking note um, as to how the behavior is progressing. How often is it getting any worse? Is your child or loved one a danger to themselves? Are they a danger to other people? How are you able to handle the situation um, physically? Are you in any danger? Are you putting yourself in harm's way? And then last, how are you dealing with that from an emotional and mental standpoint? And again, as I mentioned earlier, that's the part that is the most difficult to uh, ascertain, if you will. And that's simply because any situation that we deal with emotionally is difficult to um, uh, measure or uh, acknowledge. Most people don't have a whole lot of self-awareness, and that's just under normal circumstances. If you're talking about being or or having a level of self-awareness to be able to measure how you handle um, a stressful situation – it's a stressful situation, so therefore you're in the in the middle of it, in, in the throes of it. So it's even more difficult to self-assess. Um, but it becomes, again, as I mentioned earlier, very very important. The other thing that um, uh, you can do is you know seek out support groups of, of various kinds, and then keep in mind that you know everybody's experience is going to be a little uh, different. And make sure that the environment that you're in is one where people are encouraging and supportive and not judgmental because there's a whole lot of that to go around. Uh, The one thing that um, I've learned being a member of the special needs community is that um, we're all people. We're all people. And, you know, you're reminded of that when you come across the very strong opinions that people have about various things, just like they might about politics. There's people that have very definite opinions as to how therapy should be administered, what type of therapy. So there's people that are going to have strong opinions as to whether or not uh, one should be in a home and or, or not, and judge those that make those choices. So uh, it's a very personal thing. Um, but, you know, it's something that people can, you know, that you can get through if you know that you're uh, you're not alone. And we want to make sure that we provide, you know, as many resources as, as we possibly can. And, you know, I apologize because um, that's something that we should have probably had uh, provided here today, but we will, uh, as we make sure that we get our website up and running as well, because um, we want to make sure that we're giving people uh, resources to address various issues and topics that um, may be uh, not only commonly faced, but difficult to deal with. And so, um, the other thing I was going to touch on is, you know, when these choices, you know, are made, just as you have um, resources with regard to regional centers and um, doctors and therapists and things of that sort for other areas related to the special needs experience, for lack of a better term, 
there are also resources available to help with one making the choice as to whether or not um, some type of alternative housing is even appropriate, number one. And then um, number two, trying to find an appropriate um, home or facility. And I'm measuring my words as I say that because as I, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, in the beginning, and we talked about the word institutionalized or an institution is something that we don't, you know, people don't like to use. And I, and I think that they've actually, most of the facilities that apply here are more like homes than they have been before. But anyway, I, I digress. My point is um, there's resources out there to try and figure out where those, um, you know, where those places might be. And a regional center might be the best place one of the best places uh, to start also. And so for those that are listening in places outside of California, uh, regional centers are entities that the local government has, especially here in Southern California in an area that's you know so large, you have regional centers that cover various territories and they provide um, things like uh, respite, therapy. Um, you know, when Elijah was younger, they provided us with pull-ups. You know, so they provide a lot of services that are free of charge that the state will pay for. Some states have more um, than others and are better at it. Uh, and, and here in Southern California, um, there are a lot of people that move here for those specific services because there's a lot more of them here that one has access to than you might um, someplace else. But they can help with those things also. And it's again, it's a it's a place to start. But just like everything else that we touch on on the show, whether we're talking about um, uh, financial awareness, uh, therapies, uh, support, uh, self-care, you know, uh, we want to make sure that, um, that we let people know about the various options that, that are out there, but that's one of probably the, the best places, uh, that, uh, you can start. The other thing is if, if autism happens to be, um, um, a, a portion of, you know, part of your experience as it rela relates to a diagnosis or, or, or a special, um, special needs. Uh, Autism Speaks has a directory, uh, a provider directory that is actually national. So you can find a handful of resources there uh, on that directory that will let you know um, exactly where you can find various, um, various forms of help and, and support for different things. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that directory continues to grow. Actually, our services are uh, noted there. I know that there are people that have a lot of strong opinions as to whether or not they support Autism Speaks, but that's just an example of you know what I mentioned earlier, where there's people that have very definite ideas as to how um, one should advocate as well. But regardless of whether you agree with their methods, where they're, um, how, how their uh, donations are spent, whatever the case might be. The one thing is that on the um, directory, there's a whole lot of services um, and a lot of providers that are there regardless. And that's not something that's uh, up for debate. So um, the other thing that we talked about, you know, we, so we talked about the idea of trying to, how one determines whether or not um, anything like that is appropriate. Um, you know, we covered tracking the development um, of any kind of outburst um, how you respond to it both physically, mentally, and emotionally, and 
the other thing um, that you look at is um, your support system. Who do you have around you that you can kind of, um, you know, have a conversation with? For those of you that don't have a strong support system with someone that you can talk to, you can always feel free to reach out to us as well. Um, because our entire process, uh, our entire um, reason for doing what we do, both myself and Brian, is to bring people together and to grow uh, our village, uh, the village of um, those that are um, caring for people with special needs. And so uh, you can reach us directly at our our, e our email address, which is wearejust2dads at gmail.com. Um, you can reach us uh, on Instagram at, uh, you know, just2dads. And the other thing you can do is also reach us on our Facebook page, which is, as I mentioned, just two dads. Whatever answers we don't have, we can more than likely connect you with someone that does have them. And we've had that take place a couple of times over the past um, handful of months with regard to people that offer a variety of services. By the same token, if you know someone, let me say this, if you know someone that provides a service that would be of value to the special needs community, by all means, reach out there. If you um, have an experience um, that is related to anything we've talked about here today or on any of the previous episodes, then by all means, reach out to us there too. And what we want to do is, as I mentioned, always bring people together um, because, you know, we're only as strong as we are together. So, um, and good. We have that in the chat as well, the email address. And again, we're, we're working on our website, so we should have that up uh, very soon, hopefully. And um, we want to make sure that, again, we, we're, we're just leaning on each other as much as, as we possibly can. And, you know, we just want to be a resource and a conduit for people to, you know, come together and um, provide a shoulder to lean on, you know. So th that's that's what everything that we do is about. So with that said, um, you know, I'll wrap us up just a little early here today. Um, but this isn't a topic that's going to go away. This is something that I, I see us coming back to dis, uh, discuss and have a more of a, um, an actual conversation um, when we've got a couple people on that, you know, can deal with it. I, I think that based on the experience that I've had personally within the last uh, couple of days, I thought the topic was uh, worth discussing and, and it, I thought it made sense to, and Brian agreed, we thought it made sense to provide an opportunity for people to uh, share any concerns that they would have around a, ma a matter such as that. So uh, I want to encourage you to, you know, um, follow us. Um, take a look at the uh, at our YouTube page and uh, like and share as well. And then feel free to send, again, to um, the outlets that I've just mentioned, any comments that you might have, any questions that you might have as it relates to this topic, because like many of the other topics, it isn't something that um, that goes away. We're, we're going to have another conversation about this, and we'd like to have, especially for something like this, an inclusive conversation, okay, because everybody has something to add for that. Um which I definitely understand. I want to thank everyone that that, that uh, tunes in to watch us on Facebook Live, everyone that um, listens on the various outlets wherever podcasts can be found. And I most definitely want to make sure that we uh, thank everyone uh, of our listeners in the U.S. Virgin Islands who are listening to us on WSDX as well. And make sure that you use the hashtag Just2Dads, okay? And... The other thing I want to do is, as I always do, I want to thank um, I want to thank Brian Altunian. 
um, you know, your life has a measurable value when you have tremendous relationships with people. And so um, to be able to do what we do um, together and try and add as much value as we can to people's lives, um, I'm just very thankful to be able to have uh, him as a friend and partner and thrive in which to uh, have this endeavor. I also want to thank our producer, Sean Hall, who uh, um, contributes to everything we do tremendously, all the way from um, the island of Hawaii. And last but not least, I want to thank the women in my life, as I always do, my mom, Jan, and my wife, Laura. I couldn't begin to attempt to do and be who I try to be uh, without them. And then the other thing I want to say is, you know, for those of you out there who are having a challenge or a struggle, you're not as alone as you as you as you might seem, uh, as you might as it might feel. Um, but you got to speak up, and and it's quite okay to let somebody know that you're alone. Um, there's answers out there and solutions that you that that are at your fingertips that you might not know about if nothing is said. Okay, uh, and then the last thing is just remember that there are special needs. Uh, th there's no such thing as special need. There's, there's, there's needs that everyone has, but everyone just has, um, everyone has the same needs, but those of us th that are labeled with special needs need the same thing. You need to be seen. You need to be heard. You need to know that you matter. And somebody out there needs to know that you care. Somebody out there needs to know that they're heard and that they are seen. Everybody has that same basic human uh, need. We all do. And so with that said, I want to thank you for tuning in. I hope that some semblance of value is added here today. That's something that we strive to do each and every week. And um, we will see you next week. Make sure you tune in, follow, like, and subscribe on our YouTube page. And if you're watching or you're listening, either way, we love you. Thank you so much.